Need a faith boost? You're in the right place. Faith for Her is your place to come for faith-building encouragement and scriptural truths that you can apply to your everyday life. Whether you are one that opens your Bible and struggles to understand, or one who reads the Word every day and is just unsure how to apply it to your everyday life, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Katie Wynn. I've been teaching Bible studies to large groups of women for over five years, and I am passionate about building women up in their faith through biblical literacy. Teaching God's Word and encouraging women in their faith is my ministry, but I also work for a marketing agency and homeschool my littles. I believe that faith can be applied to all areas of our lives, and I want to help you do just that. Get ready for some hope that can only be found in Jesus. It's time for a faith boost. Well, I want to welcome you to another episode of the Faith for Her podcast, and I have a special guest with me today that I am thrilled to introduce you to. Um, I met Brian Crum earlier this year, I guess it was, um, via digital space. We haven't met in person yet, right? Maybe one day. That would be awesome. Would be um, awesome. And, and Brian, um, he just really struck me because he is a person of great joy. He is an encourager. And when I meet people like that, I want to share them with other people. So today I'm going to introduce you all to Brian and you're going to hear a bit about him, his life journey, how he finds joy in life, why he enjoys encouraging other people. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about how do we balance out the longings of our soul um, to still be content in this lifetime while looking forward to a future of forever with Jesus. So welcome, Brian. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Katie. I'm thrilled to be here. It's so awesome. I can't believe that you asked me to be on your show. So thank you so much. Of course. So why don't you just dive in and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm Brian Crum, and I've um, I've got an active ministry that we've got going on called Boomerang Ministry. We're basically um, fundraising and helping pay for uh, ministers' salaries who are battling cancer. So ministers often, you know, go through chemo and can't work. And uh, it's a group of folks that, that needs our help. They don't have necessarily robust health plans. So I've been doing that for a while uh, and I've gotten into writing a, a book on the side and uh, just some great things like like the podcast we're doing today. So just thrilled to be part of that. And how did Boomerang come about? Like, why why did that pull on your heart to minister to the, I mean, it's important ministry, of course, but how did that even come to be? Boomerang is like a crossroads of a couple of things. I, I started my career as a hospice chaplain uh, years ago and did that for over a decade. And so I've always had this, just this heart for ministry and, and in particular people that, that do the ministering. So uh, that could be nurses. It could be ministers. Doesn't have to necessarily be a clergy. But uh, I've discovered along the way that that's a group of folks that really could use our support. So had that happen in my my previous experiences, and then my day job today is I work for a hospital system, and have given over to the dark side of spreadsheets and budgets and management. So. Uh, boomerang was kind of the born out of the crossroads of those two paths. So, 
And so talk a little bit about your experience as a chaplain, because I've listened to you speak as a guest on another podcast, and I was just really inspired by the stories that you have come away with. And even though it's an end of life experience, which can feel really scary, you find such hope and encouragement in in these moments with people as they are transitioning from one life to eternity with our Heavenly Father. So I would love for you just to share a little bit about some of those experiences. Sure. Happy to. It's it's kind of a surprise thing about life is you go into this ministry thinking it's going to be a sad ministry that you're meeting with people at the end of their lives. And and certainly there are tears and and there is a sadness to a lot of that work. But what you find out is you're actually sitting uh, on the precipice. You're sitting right at the foot of the curtain that separates this world and the next. And occasionally that curtain has a little bit of a space in it and you get to peek through that, that space and you get a glimpse of a little bit of what's on the other side. And uh, I'll tell you, it changes your world. It changes your life. It, it, it just fills you up with this um, enthusiasm for what we're doing on this side of the curtain and certainly gets you excited about what's on the other side of the curtain. So uh, a lot of stories that kind of align with that too. So what would be a story maybe you can think of that really, you know, touched you or, or changed you um, in that ministry? Yeah, good question. And and there's a ton, but um, one that comes to mind because we've been kind of chatting about longing and belonging. And I think as you uh, meet with people that are at the end of their life, they kind of fall into two categories. I think we either are holding on to what we have. That's the belonging part. Mm-hmm. Or we're longing for what is waiting. And that's the longing part, what's coming next. And I remember this story that just will always stick in my heart about um, a lady named Miss Ruth. And I met Miss Ruth and her family in the hospital. And I met them just as a doctor was leaving, having delivered some really strong news to them, um, kind of delivering that they had moments with Miss Ruth and not days like they had thought, not weeks like they had thought and um, had spent some time with this family previously. So I knew them, but in these final moments, we really connected. And here's this 90 year old Miss Ruth, who's um, laying in this hospital bed. Her daughters have come to gather around her and we are surrounding and her we've, we're holding hands and we're starting to pray. And Miss Ruth has been unresponsive this whole time. Her eyes have been closed. She's been very quiet. Um, the spaces between her breathing, between her breaths have become uh, longer and longer. And so we know, we sense these, the final moments are here. Uh, so we're holding hands and we're praying and it's, it's deeply emotional, especially for her daughters. I'm holding uh, her daughter Rachel's hand in my right hand. I'm holding Miss Ruth's hand in my left hand. And my right hand is shaking because her daughter Rachel is, is really just feeling the emotion of the moment. Um, but we pray and I say amen. And when I say amen, Miss Ruth, who has been unresponsive this whole time, opens her eyes and says amen. And 
it was a very sweet amen uh, because we hadn't heard her voice for a while. Her daughters hadn't heard her voice in quite some time. So we were surprised. We, we obviously opened our eyes and began to look at Ruth, Miss Ruth. And she looks around the circle and she says, I see one of you is bright. And her daughter, Rachel says, you know, this, thinking that Miss Ruth is talking about me says, oh, mom, this is Brian. You remember Brian? He's, he's been here before. He's here to pray with us today. And Miss Ruth says, I see him, but I see one of you is bright. And she drops my hand and she reaches her hand up and you can tell her fingers curl and her thumb curls. She's holding someone's hand and it's not anyone that's in the circle. And it's whoever is bright that she's now holding on to. And um, the thing that really caught my attention was Ruth laughed. Here we are on the, the very edge of final moments. We're at that curtain's edge. We're almost to death. And Ruth laughs. And it's, it's, not, a, it's not a laugh of a 90-year-old woman. It's, it's a giggle. It's... Um, it's a kid running through the sprinkler on a summer day. It's a, a, a young girl playing tag on the playground. You know, it's a, the giggle of just pure childlike joy. And I just have been so in awe of that the rest of my life since that moment on. And it's been because I, I just hear that scripture in my mind of the prodigal son and God running you know, when that son is returned home. And that's what I saw in that moment. I saw the, the savior running. I saw him see Ruth from far off, nearing home and running to meet her. And, um, you know, I, you know, call it what you will. I've had people criticize, you know, that whole moment and whether it's supernatural or whatever, all I can tell you is what I saw in the room. And I saw, a lady that was holding on to someone that she told me was bright. And I think it was the father running to meet her. So um, I think that's the lesson I learned from Miss Ruth and, and others too, Katie, but for certainly Miss Ruth is that as we get a glimpse of the one who is bright, as we get a glimpse of what's waiting, it makes the belonging here, the things that we're holding on to a little easier to let go of because Ruth passed, um, shortly after that experience. And she really, really did pass with a smile on her face and the, the, the way it eased the, the longing and the, the, the way it eased the pain of her daughters and missing her was tremendous. So, um, one, one encounter that I can share with, they're not all like that. I won't tell you that every experience in hospice is like that. Those of you who work in, in hospice certainly know that there's definitely a lot more to that kind of care, but, um, every once in a while you get to peek behind the curtain. Well, and how sweet to give us a glimpse, those of us that believe, cause I truly believe too, that that was her father that she saw, um, you know, it said, blessed, blessed are those who believe without seeing, but when God is so gracious, just to give us a glimpse 
that can build our faith that truly there is something better on the other side, right? It, it helps us in that transition or even when we're experiencing someone we love that's transitioning. And so that is such a sweet story and just kind of, I call it like a God kiss, you know, it's, it's oh, that's a good. Sweet, yeah. sweet way that he connects with us in little moments. Yeah. And it's close too, because, you know, I, I think about, I'm holding um, one hand, I'm holding a daughter's hand, mm -hmm. I'm holding Miss Ruth's hand. And then the difference between this existence and the next is one hand away. You know, it's mm -hmm. so much closer than we think, I think sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, that's really neat to think about and, and so closely connected, right? Because I, and it's neat that she, she saw him like that it was, you know, before she even crossed over, he was already present, like already in the room, already there. And, and I think in those moments of like, you know, end times or any time of darkness, we can question that. Like, is God really near in this moment or am I just trying to hold on until I can finally right. get to him? You know, but he's, he's ever present. He's always there. And that story just illustrates that. It's beautiful. So true. They're, they're not all like that. There, there are certainly some just powerful stories. Um, there are some other stories. Uh, I've got another example, um, another elderly lady in her 80s that I met with. Uh, her name was Miss Vivian and spent a lot of time with her, actually. She lived in a nursing home and I was coming to see her um, a couple times a week for, for many weeks, just talking and getting to know her and helping her kind of prepare for the that, that Savior coming to meet her. Um, and what we what we realized early on in our conversations is Miss Vivian was not ready because she didn't feel like she was ready. And it kept coming back to one event in her childhood. So here's a, a lady who's in her 80s, and she's still hung up on something that happened when she was eight. So she's eight years old. She's in her living room. She's playing on the floor. And her father comes home from the bar that night and comes through the door, is walking through the living room and steps on one of her toys and it hurts his foot. And she says, Miss Vivian says she could smell the alcohol coming off of him and he loses his temper. Um, backhands her across the mouth and it's hard enough to draw blood. And he says to her, I think the words he says actually hurt worse than the backhand because <laughs> he says to Miss Vivian, your mama was nothing and you're nothing and you're never going to be anything. And then continues on his path of wherever he's headed that night. But here she is in her eighties and she's still hung up on something her dad said to her back when she was eight years old. And we spent a lot of time removing that, taking those bad words that her dad had just planted deep in her core and clearing them out. And I, I kind of think that's the way it is for us in some ways, because I, I think Miss Vivian was um, clearing a path for the Savior. Like we think about Miss Ruth and the prodigal and the father running to meet her. I think Miss Vivian was clearing a path for the father to run to her. And some of us, I think, have to do that a little bit. There are some things that we've let kind of cloud 
the road that we need to push aside uh, and get get out of the way. And I know you're big on that as replacing the bad words with the good words and speaking truth over ourselves. Elaborate on that just a little bit. Yeah, I, I saw this story, um, and I, you've probably heard me say this before because it's one of my favorite illustrations, but I saw this story um, 2020, not that long ago, of a house in Louisiana that burned, caught fire, and just burned down to basically nothing left. Um, but when the fire and flames did what they do, they reached these two-by-fours, the framework of the house, the wooden beams, and the fire stopped. And what was interesting is the firemen show up and they do the work that firemen do with hoses and water. And then as the, the flames have been put out and the smoke clears, they're walking through the debris and they're shining their flashlights through the smoke. And they realize there are scriptures written on the beams of this house, on the two by fours, whenever someone built the house, they wrote with Sharpie magic markers, these scriptures on the beams. And for whatever reason, the flames reached those words and stopped. Wow. And, you know, it's interesting to watch the news story about it. I've actually saved the clip. You can Google it sometime about this fire in Louisiana. Um, Cause these firemen make these statements about um, shining their lights and, here they are, whether they're Christian men or not, I don't know, but they're making these statements about how the fire just reached these words and stopped. And I think about, you know, Miss Vivian and ourselves, we're like that. We have words that have been written on the framework of our being. And some of those words are God's words. You know, some of them are really good. They're fire stopping words. Um, they're words like forgiven and loved and beautiful and smart. And, you know, they're all the things God has created us to be and written on our framework. But I, but I think we've written some words ourselves on those beams that are not true. And sometimes we've allowed others to do the writing. Miss Vivian allowed her father to do some writing. He wrote, you're nothing on her, her beams. And she needed some time, even that many years later, to go in and erase untruth, to erase the fiction and write in some truth, to underline some truth, to find that one word that Jesus wrote himself, forgiven, circle that one, highlight that one, you know, and and hold that one up as the one you really believe. So I think that's that's the way we are too. We've got to got to do some writing inside ourselves. We've got to do some erasing inside ourselves. And I, I do spend a lot of time telling folks, time to get out your pencil, time to get out your eraser and, and do some work inside yourself. And do you think that's kind of just the practical way to do it is literally get out a pencil and maybe write down those negative things that you're thinking about yourself and then find a positive truth? and write that down and erase the other word? Or what would you say is a, a practical yeah, way I, to go about it? It seems like the more you more writing there is to do, the more that actual physical work of it helps. So mm -hmm. for some of us, maybe it's just a mental exercise you do in the morning, driving to work or getting up. But for most of us, raising my hand on this one, 
you know, we've, we've, we're hard on ourselves. We've, we've got to really write out, like you said, I've got to do the physical exercise of writing down the things I've held against myself and throwing them away or burn those, put those in your fireplace. There's where the flames belong, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to my daughter earlier. Uh, we were doing a little Bible study time together and in her devotional, it advised her, like, if you have something negative that you're thinking about yourself, write it on a piece of paper and then tear it up and then crumble it in a ball and just throw it away. And exactly. uh, for her that like really resonated, it was like a physical thing she can do. So yeah, I think some of us like having that physical action to do helps with the mental like acceptance of it. Me too. Yeah. We, you know, my, um, my wife and I used to live in this rental house that um, the previous tenants had a goat in the basement <laughs> of like a full-time resident of the house. We didn't know it when we moved in, but we figured it out pretty quick. Um, the smell gave it away. <laughs> and um, it was brutal because you'd go down into the basement to do laundry and this powerful aroma would just hit you in the face, greet you as you walked into the basement. And it was rough. Um, wish we had checked that out a little sooner before we started renting that place. <laughs> but I think, um, I think when I think of Miss Vivian and some other folks I've talked to, we do have a goat. It's called um, Doubt. And Doubt is like that goat in our basement. It, um, it stinks, for one thing. And it, it'll, it'll smell up the entire place if you let it. And it has a pretty healthy appetite. It eats everything we give it. And some of us, myself included, are preparing some pretty great meals for our goat of doubt. <laughs> we're giving them our dreams and our best plans. And some of us are giving our faith to it too. And um, I think a good exercise, similar to the one you're talking about, Katie, is to put our goat, our doubt, on a diet <laughs> to stop feeding him some of the, the things that we love and hold so dear. That is so funny. I'm like really picturing a goat right now <laughs> <laughs> and like kicking it out of my basement. Like you don't get to live here anymore, buddy. <laughs> no more doubt in my basement, please. <laughs> yeah. We, our tastes and rentals have improved slightly, but it was, you know, newlyweds. Yeah. You kind of take what's available and there you go. <laughs> And it just lived down there. Like, how did it get out? Did you have to let it out? It, so previous tenants, I don't know how they did it. I just know we started sm smelling the funk, right? And ask a neighbor one day, like, what's the deal? Was someone murdered down there? Or what's the deal in the basement? And they're like, oh, yeah, Randy had a goat down there. Like, that's that's where he kept it. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> It was totally normal to the neighbor. Oh yeah, that's the goat. Yep, just another another thing. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, so I also know that you have a passion for bringing us back to the garden and getting back to Eden and that there's purpose in that. So we can sort of take some of the brokenness we're living in now and find reconciliation when we're able to go back and look at the garden and bring that into our present. So I want you to share a little bit about that. And I don't know if that's giving some of your book away because I know you're working on a book too. So you can share <laughs> sure. a little bit about that. Um, but speak a little bit into that because I love that concept and I'd love to hear more. Yeah, happy to. So I, I think 
God intended this amazing life for us, obviously. I mean, you look at what he created originally for us to live in and then how he equipped us. He intended for us to live these sophisticated, divinely uh, incredible lives, just fulfilled. He gave Adam and Eve jobs that were just really, you know, they had purpose, they had meaning, they had this paradise to live in. That's what God intended for us. And I, I think we're really familiar with Adam and Eve getting kicked out of the garden. We know the story of eating the fruit and God showing him the door and blocking it with an angel with a flaming sword. And you can't, you know, come back in. We know that story. We know that Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, but I think we forget that God removed them, but he never removed anything from their design. So what gives me kind of goosebumps is that all of the features for living that, that life that God originally intended, all of those are still inside of us in the exact location where God himself installed them. And we can, we can connect those. I think they've over time become a little dusty. <laughs> they've become a little hidden, maybe buried even in some of us. And so we've got some work to do in dusting them off and plugging them back in and reconnecting that life that God wants for us. But I think it can be done. And I, I'm just a big believer that all of those features are able to be plugged back in. Certainly, We've been talking about a couple today, good words, you know, I think God intended our lives to be powered by good words. As we think about God speaking creation into existence and, you know, I, he, he could have done that how many number of ways, you know, with smoke and fire and lasers. And I don't know what he could have really made, you know, creation just this pyrotechnic event. I don't know. But he chose to speak things into existence. And I think he gives us that power in our lives today. Um, back to Miss Vivian, you know, we have power in what we say to each other and what we say to ourselves. So we have creative power in our, our speaking. So a lot of, a lot of um, components, I think, inside of us that really help us live powerfully and we can connect those. And the book that I've written talks about that a lot of a lot of stories like the ones i've shared today from my hospice experience and a lot of advice from the patients that i spoke with and and then a lot of instruction on how to reconnect some of those key components that god's given us to live powerfully um and i've got a you know it's not a 1999 or 1-800 number that you can call to order but i do have a text number and if you text my name brian b-r-y-a-n to 66866 so text my name b-r-y-a-n to 66866 it'll take you to this page where you can sign up for the book you can um uh introduce yourself to my social media pages. Um, it's just got a lot of ways to connect with the ministry that we're doing. The really neat thing about it is if you buy the book, it helps you, hopefully. I hope it has a lot of stuff in it to help you. But all the dollars that go from the sale of the book go to Boomerang Ministries. So they're, they're actually paying ministers' salaries who are going through chemo and battling cancer. So 
uh, help yourself and help someone else in the process. Really, really good opportunity. I love that so much. And I'll make sure to put that in the show notes too. So people can go back and look that up and text after they listen as well. Oh, thank you. Awesome. Yes, of course. And, and I, can attest that Brian's social media is one of the most encouraging places you could be. He pops on with just <laughs> these little tidbits of encouragement. And so I encourage you to go follow him. I'll link that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Um, Brian, just to close this out a little bit. So I have this week, what's been heavy on my mind actually um, is, am I being good about helping other people feel that they belong and that they belong to me? And I think that's one of the most important things in the loneliness of this world is to feel like we belong to each other. Mm. And um, so something that has been on, on my heart this week is I have a friend who I spent some time with a week ago, a few days in a row, and um, it really impacted me. But I, I've just been busy or I haven't gone back to like tell her how much it meant to me or how it impacted mm. me of her just being her. Like she didn't do anything above and beyond. Like she, she was just being her. And so I think sometimes we need to share our good words with other people, like not just speaking of ourselves, like you said, but just sharing those good words with others. And so what encouragement do you give us in, in helping other people belong and speaking good words over them? You know, I, it goes back to the framework, as you might imagine, because <laughs> I think we can write on our own beams. But like you're describing, Katie, I think we get to write on each other's framework, too. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly some opportunities to do that. And we we miss it a lot. We don't take advantage of it nearly enough. But there's chances every day to go to someone and say or write something great about them and present it to them. You know, uh, I think about our words and if you say something that's a compliment to someone, their cheeks blush red. You know, if we cheer from the sidelines, people on sports teams play harder. You know, if we um, say positive things, people's postures straighten. You can, you can see the effects of, just our words and people's lives. And we know that truth, but maybe don't take the time, like you're saying, to do more of it. And it doesn't always have to be spoken. It can certainly be written. And maybe that's a card. Maybe that's a, a note. Maybe it's a text. You know, maybe it's just one word. Um, you are too. You are beautiful. You know, this morning, there's a, a lot of folks. I've got um, a house full of women I live with that they need to know they're beautiful. You know, we need to remind the, the folks in our lives that they are just beautiful creations that God made them that way. Um, so there's, there's opportunities to do that. And I think it's so simple that we underestimate it. So definitely some, some ways to do that. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. I love that so much. Well, I appreciate your words of wisdom today. Um, if you want more Brian encouragement, I will give you all the links in the show notes. And <laughs> um, and then, um, Brian, I will definitely have to have you back on once you release your book to talk more about that, because I know it's going to be awesome as oh, well. I love that. Yes. So thank you for joining me today. And um, I'll be talking with all of you real soon. Thank you, Katie. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope you walk away with a faith boost that puts a little spring in your step. 
I'd love to connect with you on social media. I'm on both Facebook and Instagram. On Facebook, it's Faith for Her, and Instagram, it's Katie Wynn, Faith for Her. I'm on Instagram a little bit more where I share little faith boosters in my squares. I love to write, and so you'll find words of encouragement on the regular over there, in addition to pictures of my life. So I homeschool my kids, you'll see my family. I love to be in the kitchen and the garden, and I love to be outdoors. So I'd love to get to know you a little bit better over on Instagram too. So I'll put links to my social channels down in the show notes, and until the next episode, be blessed and be encouraged.